Good morning, good morning. Greetings to you all on this beautiful, much cooler day. Uh, it blew my mind yesterday when uh, the rain came crashing through Hamilton and it like dropped like a million degrees all went like that. It was amazing. I opened the front door and suddenly I could breathe again. Uh, uh, welcome to you. Uh, my name is Doug Baker. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Reform Church. And uh, it's so good to get to worship together with you again today. For those of you that are joining us in some kind of form of digital media, whether that's on a different day than today, which is Sunday, or if you're tuning in right now and uh, we're worshiping together for all of our worshiping body, regardless of where you are or what time you're worshiping with us, uh, God's grace and blessings and encouragement to you today. Um, it's so good to, to get to be together, uh, seeking God together and seeking the power of his word in our lives together. So welcome, welcome to you all. Um, we get to talk about the word of God today from Acts chapter 23. We're going to continue along in an amazing story um, that, uh, that, that has been unfolding for us this summer. We've been uh, digging into Paul and his experiences, the Apostle Paul, and the cool things that he has been uh, going through, uh, the tough stuff that he's been experiencing, good, uh, good uh, stories we've been hearing, amazing truths. We've been coming to terms with the journey uh, that God asks us to walk, and, that, and just to remember that God is faithful at all times. That's, that's kind of what we've been unpacking over the last several weeks. Now, as we uh, tell this story, as we dig into these scriptures, uh, I want to just kind of call out something that, that is a part of that as we're unpacking these realities uh, is often quite uh, tempting. It, it's an easy thing to assume that it is Paul who is the main character of the stories that we're telling. It's a, it's a normal thing to assume anytime somebody is telling a story that the person we're zooming in on, that they're the main character of the story. And, and that is true. Yes, yes, it is Paul that we're, uh, we're trying to understand his uh, experiences and how God has been working in his life. But, and uh, I'm going to say this, this is one of those pastory things, one of those things like when you say it to people, they're like, oh, you probably had to say that because like you get paid to say that, right? Um, but I just want to remind us all, because it's a good thing to be reminded of, that, uh, that any time that we open this book, any time that we're unpacking what God has to say to us, Anytime we're hearing these stories and we're applying the lessons to our lives, we need to remember that the main character of this book, the main character of life itself, is not us. It's not the people we're reading about. The main character is God himself. He's like the main guy. He's like the one that, uh, that we're supposed to be learning about. He's the one on whom the spotlight is shining every time we tell one of these stories about a faithful servant or somebody who goes absolutely ballistic and off the rails. God is the one that is supposed to be receiving the focus. And, and I know I can say that because Pastor Trent said it last week as he was preaching. He said this is just one little moment in his sermon, which is oftentimes the thing that like grabs me when I'm listening to somebody preach is this one thing that they say and it just like swoops in and just captures my attention. And Pastor Trent did that just last week. He said that, uh, that, that God is the main character uh, in all of these stories that we're unpacking. Uh, another one of those profound truths in a torrent of beautiful truths that Pastor Trent shares. Um, he's on vacation this week, by the way, and He's getting some much-needed rest. I'm sure he is spending a lot of time fishing um, and being outsmarted by, as he likes to say, something with a brain the size of a pea. Uh, 
I just want to, I just want to just say and and just comment that he is a wonderful steward of God's word. Pastor Trent is, and we are so blessed to have him. Um, He's such a gift to us. Yes, yeah. And so, but Pastor Trent too is not the main character. Not even here at Community Reformed Church as our lead pastor. The whole purpose of this book, the whole purpose of our lives, the whole purpose of everything that we do here is to call attention solely, completely, utterly to our God, God the Father, and Jesus Christ, his Son. This is what this is all about. Which means that as each story is unfolding, all of the players within are meant to reveal something about God. Over the last several weeks, we've been hearing about Paul. We've been talking about Paul and his choices and how his choices reveal beautiful things about God. Today, I want to recognize some other characters in these stories in Acts. We're going to be in Acts 23, and we're going to let these characters reveal something about God. Now, you have to, as before we get into this, you have to know that sometimes what's revealed about God is a positive reflection. Like you hear about Paul's faithfulness, or you hear about Abraham's faithfulness, and you hear about uh, 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 Peter being faithful, and you hear about all of these characters doing the things they're supposed to do, and you're like, okay, so what they're doing, and the obedience that they're doing, and, and how they're living, and, and the, the bright light that they're shining is a positive reflection of who God is. But that's not the only way you can reveal something. Sometimes you reveal truth, you can reveal who God is by revealing the opposite. When people are in the middle of chaos, when they're in the middle of darkness, when they're in the middle of, of revealing the fullness, of the worst of the human condition, that too does tell us things about God by telling us things that God is not. All of the, many of the characters in our story today in Acts 23, they're going to reveal things that we don't like about people. And this is a reminder to us of the things that are not true of God. And we need to know those things too. As these folks serve as a backdrop in the story, it allows the spotlight to shine on the main character. And that's that's an important piece. That's an important part of, of these moments in history. Where's the spotlight being shined? I mean, you know what a backdrop is, right? A backdrop is something that happens in a play. It's the behind-the-scenes stuff, like, like that, that curtain back there, that fancy little curtain. That's a backdrop. It, uh, helps, it helps accent the story. It helps bring attention to where it needs to be, but it is not itself the story. It's just kind of in the background. Our passage today is in Acts 23, and uh, the things that are leading up to this, Paul has uh, just revealed he's a Roman citizen. Uh, the commander says, oh, well, then we can't be uh, beating on you and, 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 and treating you poorly. So he unties him, gives him a night to sleep, he gets cleaned up. But then the commander wants to know why Paul's being picked on. Why, why is it that he's experiencing the things he's experiencing? So he invites him to an impromptu Jewish leadership council meeting, the Sanhedrin, he calls it together, in an impromptu informal meeting. So maybe he can get a sense as Paul interacts with the leaders, why are they so upset at him? And so they gather him together. Paul gets to stand up in front of this group of people. And this, this is what happens. So Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience 
to this day. And at this, the high priest, Ananias, ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, and yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Now those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, brothers, I, I did not realize that he was the high priest. I mean, it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. So then Paul knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, uh, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now, when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Why? Because the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there is neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. They, they did not believe in uh, a resurrection. We're not talking about Jesus' resurrection. They're not arguing about Jesus, and some of them are like, yes, Jesus was resurrected. This is about this is about the spiritual realm in general, whether or not there are angels, whether or not there are spirits beyond our comprehension, whether or not there is a resurrection at all. There were two different competing views on this. The Sadducees said, no, absolutely not. There's no uh, support for that in Scripture. And the Pharisees said, absolutely there is. And, and so there was always this kind of battle. You know how people, when they've been living around each other, they've had lives together over and over and over. There's always like a subtext. There's always something hidden in the background that they've been arguing about for like decades. These folks have been arguing about it for like millennia. And Paul is like, look, you're not listening to me, so I'm going to just bring, I'm going to just drop this thing into the middle of here, and I'm going to see what you do with it. And they didn't disappoint. They, they got in each other's faces. And there's a great uproar. This is very understated, although the Bible sometimes. And there was a great uproar. And some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? And the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces. And so he ordered the troops to go down and bring him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Whew. I'm going to pray here before we unpack this. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and this is an amazing moment. And, uh, and we need to know, we want to know uh, what it is you have to say, what it is you want us to know um, from this strange moment, this interaction between Paul and between leaders of your people who are struggling to understand truth and behaving in crazy ways. So help us to unpack this. Help us to understand it well. Guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen. All right, so it's a little hard to stomach how these men are behaving at this moment. Um, how they're acting, because they are showing off some of the worst of the fallen human condition. They are quick to judge, and they are slow to listen, and they are violent and angry and impatient. 
and not just with Paul. Did you notice how fast half of them swapped their opinion about Paul as soon as a hot-button issue came up? As soon as they had something that they thought was really important to argue about, now, now they needed everybody on their side that they could get on their side. So now, now Paul is their buddy because he agrees with them. And as long as somebody agrees with us, then we can just do what we can. We won't have any problem with them because now we have a different enemy to fight, right? The, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And they go off on each other. And it gets so violent at some point that the commander decides that it's not safe for Paul anymore, whisks him away to safety, gets ready to send him off to a guy named Felix, governor of Caesarea, so that Paul can just be away from all of the chaos. People ruled by emotion have a tough time staying on the right path. Look how much they show us about God by showing us things that we know can't be true of God. We're repelled by their actions. We're repelled by their attitudes, how flippant they are about something they said that was important and then how easily distracted they are when somebody brings up something that they probably think is more important. And everything about them is what God is not. And it's something that happens through the Bible over and over again. God wants us to know who he is. He also wants us to know who he isn't. God isn't on and then off. God isn't hot and then cold. God doesn't love and then hate. God is, you know, well, first of all, he is. The great I am, he is. And he is consistent. And he is always good. And he is always righteous. And he is always holy. And he is always just. And he is always loving. And he is always right. That one's not as much of a fun one, right? God's always right. I mean, we, we know how uncomfortable it is when you're in the room with somebody who's always right. It's hard being married to the woman I'm married to because she's always right. I can't deny it. It just is. And that's an important one to remember, that God is always right. He never makes a mistake. And I think there's a reason why that's hard to remember, that God is always right. I mean, theologically, intellectually, we wouldn't argue with that. Yes, of course, God is always right. Experientially, when we're trying to make it day by day and minute by minute and things are chaotic and people are, are behaving crazily, it's harder to remember that God is always right. Because, and, and this is my theory behind it, because I think... We are a part of the backdrop. I told you what the backdrop is, right? The backdrop is the thing that happens behind the scenes. It offers an ex accent. It offers a direction so that the thing in the spotlight, the person in the spotlight gets to be in the spotlight. And if God is always supposed to be in the spotlight, then God is always supposed to be the center of attention. But we, we live our lives in the background. We live our lives as a part of the backdrop, surrounded by all the rest of the backdrop. 
trying with everything that we've got to make sure that God is getting the attention, trying to make sure that he has, like, he gets the glory and his name is praised and, and, and everybody knows what God is going on. But all the time that that's happening all around us is all of this other stuff, all these other people, all of these other circumstances that are all a part of the backdrop. And when you're surrounded by something all the time, it's easy to forget that that's not the whole point. In the people around us, sometimes they're inconsistent. Sometimes we put our trust in them and then they, they let us down. Sometimes they make promises to us and then they don't keep them. Sometimes they, they, they talk glowingly about us to our faces and then they smear our reputations behind our backs. They agree with us one minute and then vehemently oppose us the next. I'm not saying that, that everybody's horrible or everybody's kind of like our enemies. I'm just saying that, that we're surrounded by humanity, actual humanity, and it's not pretty. No one's perfect. And it's not just people. It's also life in general. Life in general can throw us curveballs. It changes on, on a dime. Everything's going along fine. And then like out of nowhere, there's an accident. Or out of nowhere, there's a diagnosis. And suddenly everything seems to fall apart and there's been no warning. And that's what we're surrounded by all the time. And when life's experiences are always chaotic, often chaotic, crazy moments and the betrayal and the pain are, are visceral it's a good word right that one's for you Mary visceral it's hard to keep the focus on where the focus is supposed to be these things they fill up our hearts they fill up our minds they fill our windshields and life gets hijacked. And when that's what's filling us up, it begins to, we, we might begin to wonder, is that, could these things be true of God? I mean, are these things so true all around us all the time that these must be true of God too? I mean, especially if the things that are happening don't seem to match up with the things that God says are true about him. I, uh, I came across a, uh, uh, a Max Licato story. Any of you familiar with Max Licato, author? He writes some really great stuff. And he tells this wonderful little anecdote about Chippy the parakeet. <laughs> um, so Chippy the parakeet is having a nice little happy parakeet life. And one day his owner decides that it's time to clean his cage. And she decides that she's going to do that with the vacuum cleaner. She's doing fine. But then the telephone rings, and she turns to answer it, and, <laughs> and she's like, oh, no, and she, like, turns off the vacuum cleaner and rips open the top and rips open the bag, and Chippy is there, and he's alive, but he is, like, dusty and, like, in shock. She's like, oh, Chippy, and she grabs him, and she runs him to the, the bathroom sink, turns on the cold water, full blast, <laughs> And now Chippy is like shivering and, and, and freaked out. And she's like, oh no, he's all cold and wet. So she grabs the hairdryer. And uh, a while later, somebody asks her, how's Chippy doing? And she says, well, he doesn't really sing much anymore. He just kind of sits there and stares. 
So when things in my life take the hardest turns, I'm going to just confess to you that sometimes I wonder. I wonder if God might not be like Chippy's owner. Like maybe, maybe sometimes God drops the ball, you know, or maybe, maybe he's so busy with other folks that he doesn't, like he doesn't have the time or he hasn't been able to pay attention to what's going on with me. Or maybe like God intends things for good, but then circumstances happen and things get away from him and, and, and everything kind of breaks loose and, and those of us on the receiving end are left shaken and stunned and we can't remember how to sing. And I know we might not think that things like this should have to be said, but I need to say it, if only for me. I have to say true things sometimes just to remember what true things are. God is not the same as people. He's just not. Even if I'm surrounded by the backdrop and all the things that are not God, that doesn't mean that those things define who God is. It is not appropriate to measure him according to my circumstances or my experiences. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He tells us so much in Malachi 3, I, the Lord, do not change. And I do not change so that you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I need to say that. I need to remember that. So that I don't ever fall into the temptation of requiring God to be something that I expect. That he needs to exist based on assumptions that I make of him. I mean, is God only God if he matches my understanding of who God should be? This is something that's very common in our culture is a common posture toward him in our world, that God has to agree somehow logically with my perception of reality. And if he doesn't, maybe I don't get to, maybe I don't have to uh, uh, follow him or, or, or be his. I mean, I mean, I can't believe in a God who allows and you fill in the blank. You ever heard that one before? How can he be considered a God of love if he allows? You ever heard anybody say that before? I've thought it before. I've wondered it before. I've struggled with that. But that's a different posture than the posture of faith. A posture of faith says that my acceptance of God is not contingent on him meeting my standards. That he is God and he gets to define what is true of him. Because my thoughts are not higher than his thoughts, and my ways are not higher than his ways. He might even talk about that somewhere in his word. 
We don't get to tell God what it means for him to be God. He's the one that defines reality, which seriously, it just makes sense. He's the one that literally created reality. Shouldn't he get to be the one that tells us what's real and what's not? Only he gets to tell us who he is. Only he gets to decide if what he's doing is good. And that means that we are the ones, we are the ones that have to choose that we're going to be reshaped. We're going to be the ones molded outside, away from the image of what we think is good and into the image of what he says is good. Away from a life where, where the backdrop seems more real and into a reality where God is the only real. And he is the one that tells us who he is and what is real. He gets the spotlight. Why? It makes sense. Because he's always consistent. Because he's always good. Because he is always just and he doesn't flip-flop. And he always, always, always has our best interests in mind. And he's always, always working for a greater purpose and a greater good. All things work together for good. For them that love the Lord. And he's the one that has every single resource at his fingertips, including random commanders and governors of pagan nations, which is how he chooses to protect his servant Paul in the rest of Acts 23. And we're not going to read it, but you should read it. Because every single resource, every single person, everything that has ever been is at the fingertips of God that he can use so that the greater story, so the best version of what's supposed to happen, happens. And yes, that path, for all those of us that are experiencing it, for those of us that don't, go, don't, that don't get to be in charge, that may not be a, a feel like a very straight path, but it is controlled by the one who sees all the details. Have you ever had to just trust that somebody who knew all the details was doing the right thing, even if you can't see it? It's a hard place to be. But that's what God's asking. Because we may not always understand. But that's, that's why we call ourselves a people of faith. We have confidence in what we hope for. And we have the assurance of what we do not see. That's what a faith life is about. We want to have lives that echo the folks in, in, in Hebrews 11 that, that, are, that are testified to over and over again as this story unfolds. These people had faith. These people had faith, and they believed they had faith regardless of their circumstances. They believed not that they would have the outcome that they wanted, but that God would use their obedience in exactly the way it needed to be used so that it would fit according to the good Father's plan. And their lives still ended without necessarily getting all they wanted. You know what it says about them in Hebrews 11 at verse, at verse 13? It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Now, people, people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. And if they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had the opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It might not ever, it might not ever make sense 
what God is doing in our lives or what he calls us to. We might not ever fully understand it. It might never make sense, the weird people that we get to know. I mean, you, you have to hang out with me. You're welcome. I'm weird. It's okay. And it might not ever make sense, the weird circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in, but we're not here. We're not here for things to make sense. We're here to be loved by our God and to love him back and to love other people just like he loved us. Sometimes that does not make any sense. But it does bring God glory. And it shines the spotlight on him. And our reward for that is that we get a God who has the glory and gets the spotlight shine on him. And he is the spotlight of our lives. And, and he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And then he grants us an inheritance that will last for eternity. And everything that's been happening in the meantime might not make sense, but that, that makes sense. And that's a gift. For his glory and the glory of the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, you, you are good. And we might not only always understand what's, what's happening, we might not always understand your plan, and we might not always easily grasp how what's going on is good, but we, we're going to trust you because we don't want this to be about us. We don't want this to be... You don't have to be God the way that we want you to be. We want you, we trust you, we ask that you would just be you and that we would learn how to open ourselves up to that and accept you for who you are. Because if we can do that, then we receive the love you offer, the real love, and you get to have all the glory. Praise to you, Heavenly Father, who are worthy of all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the unwavering hand of our perfect and good God guide you in all of his ways for your blessing and for his glory. And all of God's people said, Amen.